Well, aloha from Maui, Hawaii. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you happen to be. Michael Benner now with the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School for today, July 29th of 2012. And our topic for the day today is the human trinity, a lower correspondence. We're going to talk about the three parts of who we are, each and every one of us. In fact, the number three is such a magical number. It comes up again and again and again. And there's so much here in talking about the Trinity that I hope if you find the free forum here interesting and intriguing in any way at all that you'll join us for the premium training because I've just got so much material. And it really forces you to sit back and wonder, why is the number three so powerful? What is it about the number three, especially when so much about life seems dualistic or either-or based? I mean, we have two sides to the brain, We have, I guess most obvious to people, the idea of something being either right or wrong, the absolutes of everything or nothing. We have good and bad. We have, hey, are you with us or against us? Uh, That kind of construct is very popular. We have polarities and magnetism, the positive and negative aspect, opposites. For example, we have genders. Um, Not that genders are opposites, but (laughs) sometimes they seem that way, the male and female aspect of things. Dualism is something we've talked about quite a bit before in, uh, well, these classes and in the nature of philosophy. Uh, You see a lot of it in Taoism and Buddhism, references to this or that. But Eastern philosophy also has the concept then of the middle way. And this is real important even in the enlightenment of Buddha himself, who was a prince and found that great riches and prosperity uh, did not bring him any peace did not protect him from the suffering or the lack of contentment in his life, that everybody still got sick, everybody still got old, and everybody still dies. So he became an aesthetic. He ran away from home, really, and he followed the Brahmins and gave away everything and thought that maybe extreme poverty and vows of chastity, he would eat one grain of rice a day, stand on one foot, uh, lay on a bed of nails, all in an attempt to reject the world. Thought, well, prosperity and riches didn't do it, so I'll go the other way. And that did not do it either. And then there's the great story that you may know if you've studied Buddhism or just read the Herman Hess book, Siddhartha, about the guitar player, the lute player that is floating down the Ganges with his teacher, uh, listening to the teacher explain about the nature of the guitar that if the string is too loose, it will not make a sound, and yet if the string is too tight, 
it will break. So it needs to be tuned in the middle somewhere just right. And that set it off. Aha, the light bulb goes off and Buddha figures it out. It's like, oh, it's the middle way. Even uh, the current Dalai Lama, after in the 1950s going into exile in India from Tibet following the Chinese invasion and occupation of Tibet, went from fighting for Tibet's independence in the mid to late 80s to what he called the middle way approach, where he acknowledged, he sort of said, I'll meet you in the middle here to the Chinese government, acknowledging that, okay, you've got a right to claim Tibet as part of greater China, but we want autonomy and some respect for the culture. We're just really trying to save our culture here because our culture in Tibet is very different, very unique, very rich, and very valuable. And he calls it now the middle way approach. So this apparent dualism is not sufficient. We need to understand the third way, the middle way, sometimes called the mystic's path. And you may recall that Christ said, I am the way. That's an important part of the Trinity, the middle element of any Trinity. You have the Father and the Son, and in Christianity, it's called the Holy Spirit. But in pantheism, in paganism, so to speak, this is Father, Son, and Mother. And it comes from the old Hermetic or Egyptian philosophy of Osiris, Horus, and Isis, which is king, prince, and queen, 3,000 years before Christ shows up. And it was 400 or 500 years after the birth of Christ that the church began to talk about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, replacing the mother idea. Of course, anything feminine can't be in the divine trinity, from the church's point of view. So father, son, mother, or king, prince, queen became father, son, Holy Spirit. But we're going to talk about the threeness of things or the lower correspondence of this divine trinity and man today. And most simply, we're talking about the mental, emotional, and physical aspects of each of us. And it's a very important model for those of us who are interested in personal as well as spiritual development to take a look at the fact that these are, in many ways, unique and separate parts of each of us. However, just like the divine trinity, co-equal parts, yet not really separate, but part of one whole thing— we have that same aspect in our mental, emotional, and physical natures, where each touches the other two. You can't have a thought, for example, without generating an emotional feeling of some degree and having that affect your behavior. Or if your emotions shift, notice how that has to have some sort of impact on the way you think and therefore on the way you behave. 
in a kind of a backward way, if we just deliberately change our behavior, even that would have an impact on our thoughts and feelings. So we can think of the Trinity as a kind of a triangle. Indeed, this goes back to the old African idea of the three-legged stool. And this is found in ancient mythology of southern Africa, but we also see it in Pythagoras. Remember, he was really a Greek, but spent a lot of time in northern Africa, on the other side of the pond there. And do you remember A squared plus B squared equals C squared, where squaring and then adding together the sum of the two legs of the triangle, uh, a right triangle, equals the square of the opposite or diagonal side, the side that stands opposite the right angle. So a squared plus b squared equals c squared. And Pythagoras thought that was absolutely amazing. Indeed, it is. It's one of the most beautiful and elegant equations for describing the nature of space that we have. But I'd also like you to consider the triangle, uh, equilateral or otherwise, in this three-legged stool idea, because a stool has to have three legs. I mean, if a stool or a chair has only one or two legs, it's not a stool. It's, <laughs> it's not stable at all. It is likely to teeter or fall over. Uh, one leg would be a monopod, two legs, a bipod, still not stable in any way, and three legs. Now we have a tripod, and this is extremely stable. In fact, if you have four legs or more, every leg on the stool, think of a typical four-legged stool, Every leg has to be exactly the same length or the stool is going to rock. It's going to tip and teeter. It's not going to be stable. I'm sure you've been in restaurants where the either the floor was uneven or uh, one leg had worn down somehow on the table and the, and the thing tipped and teetered and you stuck a couple of sugar packets under the leg to, <laughs> to try to get it to be stable. Well... If that table had three legs, it wouldn't matter. Think about that. And the same thing with the stool. If it had three legs, the length of the legs would not matter. The stool would be inherently stable, even if each of the three legs was clearly a different length. could be very different. It's still solid. Now, we can live our entire lives and your neighbors as well without even considering the majesty and the miracle of a phenomena like that. What is it that less than three, it's inherently unstable, four or more, it's inherently unstable and unstable unless every leg's exactly the same length, but three, it doesn't even seem to matter. You've got this inherent stability about the triangle or the number three. Tell your friends about this. It's the African stool. Again, whether we talk about it in terms of the stool or the table or the Pythagorean theorem or the middle way of 
Buddhism and Taoism and Eastern philosophy, in spite of the appearance of dualism pervading our physical reality, it's really born out of the number three. I mean, there's something sacred about all numbers. The number one represents the totality of things. Two, I've already mentioned the inherent polarities of right and wrong, good or bad, winners and losers, men and women. And now we're talking about the threeness of things. Uh, the four is the square, the four directions. The uh, five represents life in form. Every number has some sort of meaning. And a study of sacred geometry is where to pursue this if you'd like to go further with it. But just for our purposes today, let's consider the number three, not only in terms of the Christian trinity that so many of us are familiar with, having grown up in the West, but in Eastern philosophy as well. I wonder if you know how critical the number three is to Buddhism and Taoism, for example. Uh, each of the major religions in the world has a trinity of some sort. The primary trinity in Buddhism, for example, is Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, known as the Three Jewels. And sometimes you'll see a symbol of Buddhism looking like three circles. Uh, sometimes they're interlocking circles or references to the threefold lotus uh, or the three jewels, as I say, of Buddhism. And Buddha Dharma Sangha is a reference to Buddha, the closest thing a Buddhist would have to God, though it's really not God as a being or a giant man or the father aspect. It's like the oneness of all things. The Buddha nature is nirvana or the awareness that there's really only one life. Dharma, the middle element of the Buddhist trinity, is the teachings, the lessons, the principles. And the Sangha, the third element of the Buddhist trinity, is the community of women and men who study the path, the Dharma, in order to attain the Godhead, the enlightenment, nirvana, or the Buddha. So you can see it's sort of a formula or a path. Well, Christianity, we have the same thing. We have the involution of spirit, which is God through Christ, or the Christos, the Father via the Son, which represents the soul expressing a physical creation corresponding to Mother Earth, the mother, the receptive aspect that would make God a man only in the sense that spirit is causative to matter and mother matter, mater means mother, right, is receptive to the spirit. And this relationship of involution of the causative father spirit to the receptive mother matter is via the middle way, or the Christos, which represents the sun, 
or the soul, the Christ, which is both spirit and matter. Christ is often referred to as the Son of God and the Son of Man. That's because it's the middle element. And again, I know the vast majority of our listeners know this, but Christ was not Jesus' last name. That's a title. He was asked by the rabbis when he was 12 years old and sitting around teaching the rabbis a thing or two about spirituality. They said, are you the Christ? That's a Greek word for the Savior or the Messiah that uh, prophets had foretold. And he said, yeah, yeah, I've got that awareness. Yeah, I realize, though I'm only 12 years old, that I have this understanding, this gift that is obvious to me, but you guys haven't figured it out yet. So I'm, <laughs> I'm going to teach you a thing or two. I come not to change, but to fulfill, I think is the way he talked about that. In Taoism, we have a, a not very well-known a phrase or teaching by Lao Tzu in the book, the Tao Te Ching, which is sort of like the Bible of Taoism, very similar to Buddhism. And uh, it, I'm going to quote from it briefly, a little stanza here. And this is from about 400 or 500 BC. This is a uh, uh, Lao Tzu writing at about the time of Buddha and Confucius, interestingly, uh, and Pythagoras as well. They all lived, and Socrates and Plato, these guys were all on earth at about the same time, 400, 500 years before Christ. And Lao Tzu writes in this book of changes, the Tao Te Ching, from the Tao comes forth the one, from the one comes forth the two. From the two comes forth the three, and from the three come forth all things. Now, unless you study Taoism, you're never going to know that there is this idea that Pythagoras discovered that the ancient Africans knew about in their three-legged stool, the nature of the triangle, the threeness of things, this middle way, it just pops up all over the place. Uh, again, I hope you can stay for the, or join us in a few minutes for the premium training, because I'm going to go down a long list of about 50 different trinities, all with spiritual overtones. Now, let me give you some examples. First of all, the cross itself. How many of you were raised Catholic? I mean, remember the sign of the cross, even if you're not Catholic. You know most likely that Catholics touch their forehead in the name of the Father. They touch their hearts in the name of the Son and their shoulders in the name of the Holy Spirit, which again is the mother aspect of the Trinity. I mean, if somebody said, like on an IQ test, fill in the blank, Father, Son, blank. <laughs> Most of you would see it right away. But you can be a Catholic all your life and never wonder, why is the mother aspect called the Holy Spirit? And you see, well, even today, women are second-class citizens. Throughout most religions, Buddhism is an exception. Eastern philosophies tend to be an exception to this, where women have always been co-equal with men. 
but uh, you don't see that in Judaism. Uh, women are second class in uh, Christianity, which spins out of Judaism, and of course Islam, which comes out of all three, um, though they have a revealed prophet, of course, as well, Muhammad. And yet we have this same idea of women and their inherent inferiority. But uh, that's really what we're talking about, as I said before, the old Hermetic or Egyptian concept of masculine and feminine with an offspring, a prodigy, a son or a daughter, a Christos representing the soul between God and man. In other words, between spirit and matter, there's a third element. An old uh, riddle in mysticism is what comes third stands as number two and makes the three a one. This is very cool. If you if you can memorize this, what comes third stands as number two and makes the three a one. And it's the soul. It's the Christ where Father Spirit creates Mother Matter and born of, remember Einstein equated energy to mass, spirit to matter. And out of that expression, causative spirit, receptive matter, comes consciousness or awareness as the middle element. So what comes third but stands as number two? It's the soul. It's consciousness. It's love when you capitalize it. It's peace. It's the way. What comes third but stands as number two and makes the three a one? Like the allegory of the magnetic field, the father and mother are like the polarities, but the third element, the consciousness, the soul between energy and mass, between spirit and matter, is like the magnetic field that makes what would appear to be opposite polarities into one whole thing, right? The magnet, the ma and love, of course, is magnetic. You can feel the attractive affinity of love, that which binds what seems to be separate into one whole thing. Now, you got to play with these ideas a little bit. I know I'm coming at you pretty fast here, but if you play with it a little bit, you're going to have a much better understanding. If you're not yet enrolled for the premium training, you still got time to jump over to theagelesswisdom.com, click on webinars or premium webinar at some point, however you go into the site, go to premium webinars, and you can sign up with your bank card in about 60 seconds for a single program, a 13-week quarter, or for the deepest discount for a full year. Why don't you take a deep breath and close your eyes for just a second? And relax and contemplate the lower correspondence of this trinity in yourself, that you have a mental nature. You can think of your mind as corresponding to the Father aspect in God's will. You have an emotional nature in your heart, so to speak, the center of your body. Your heart 
is your emotional nature, the source of your intuition, your ability to feel, that corresponds to the soul, to a higher form of love. And you have, obviously, a physical body, a co-equal part of self that corresponds to the mother aspect or the Holy Spirit, Father Spirit, causing the receptive mother matter, giving birth to and springing forth the soul, the consciousness. This is father, mother, child, king, queen, prince. The three aspects of yourself, the mental, the emotional, and the physical. And this is how we create Remember that famous Napoleon Hill quotation as you continue to relax and go deeper. Whatever the mind of man can conceive mentally and believe emotionally, they can achieve physically. This is how we manifest in the image of the Creator with a will or an intention that corresponds to the Father, a passion, a love, faith, belief that corresponds to the Son, and then a manifestation out into the world that corresponds to the Holy Spirit, the mother aspect, receptive to spirit, Father, Son, Mother, mental, emotional, physical, the triangle, the middle way, the three-legged stool. There's so much here. Take a deep breath, and as you exhale, open your eyes and come back to Wide Awake. Thanks for being here, whether live or listening to the podcast. We appreciate it very much, and I hope you'll be able to join us again, either live or by streaming replay or download of the MP3 for the premium training that follows. If you're not yet enrolled, go to theagelesswisdom.com, click on webinars, premium webinar, and you'll be able to sign up real quickly. The thank you page will have the URL and the password, and we'll see you there in just a couple of minutes. Thanks very much for being with us. Talk to you next week. Be gentle, love life, and care for each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui, Hawaii.